Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. And before we get started on this week's episode, which is actually slightly related to the kind of opening segment before Fancy Music on last week's episode, I want to thank you for listening to last week's episode about Oceanbow. If you have never heard of that manga or anime, there's an anime for that. That's where I got that opening, if you like. Where did he get the opening for a manga? There was an anime to Ocean Bow. Um, you should definitely check it out if you like food. Or if you like asshole dads, I guess. Um, and on that note, I am going to be at Liberty City Anime Con for the weekend of the of August 10th. Um... Technically, it's 9, 10, and 11. It's August 9th, 10th, and 11th. But I'm going to be there for August 10th and 11th, doing panels on... doing three separate panels. The first one is going to be Full Metal and Beyond, an exploration of disability anime. That is a exploration of depiction of disability and disabled characters in anime on, like, a whole scale... Um, that is done by me because I am a two-time childhood brain cancer survivor who happens to be disabled, but, and I came up with this panel because I'm clearly interested in it, um, for personal reasons, but the next panel I'm doing is one that a character from Oceanbow will be featured in called Mommy and Daddy Hate You, A Guide to Crappy Parenting in Anime. Um, that's a f- always a fun time because I get to crack wise about just bad anime parents, of which there are a lot. Um, the last um, panel I'll be doing is Welcome to Your Cyberpunk Future, which is basically an, ex- an exploration of our cyberpunk hellscape that we're flying into through anime because anime as a medium has explored what that could look like an awful lot. So it's a useful kind of window into the possibilities because it contains some some of the essential core text of cyberpunk as a storytelling genre, basically. Um, so th- that panel will be happening on Sunday, I think, at like 12, 12.30. The other ones will be happening on f- Saturday. The um, Full Metal and Beyond panel is the first panel. I believe that happens from 12 to 1. Um, the... Mommy and Daddy Hate You panel, I believe, happens from six, uh, from five, from five or six to six or seven. I don't remember. Check the schedule and come join me. Now, with that said, we're going to get into a odd topic for this podcast that I've been thinking about a lot since last week and last we spoke. And that topic is the studio KyoAni.
now for most of you listening to this, you probably have heard the news that on the 18th, last down the 18th last week, actually I think directly today last week, um, someone set fire to the Kyoto Animation offices in Kyoto. And they do have a suspect now, but at the time, it was kind of a system shock to the anime industry. And it remains a system shock to the anime industry. And at the time, uh, you can go back and listen to the previous episode in which I said, you know, the loss of... the lo- The loss of talent is second only to the loss of life in that tragedy, in this tragedy, because the people who worked at Kyoto Kyoto Animation were animators at the top of their game, and while that's true of any, of pretty much any animation studio that puts out work that we consume, it is uniquely true of Kyoto Animation because they were one of the top empl- employers of animator and employer the female animator in the industry. They stood out in that way. And that that's still true, but I wanted to do this episode because in kind of um so, before we get into talking about Kyoto the Studio and why it's important, I want to take you through me and my process of dealing with things that lots of people would find deeply, heavily emotional. I'm a person whose life has been kind of marked with death in some way for a long time. I was, uh, to give you an idea, I wasn't supposed to make it to three years old. I wasn't supposed to make it to first grade. When the doctors looked at me and looked at my condition, the way my brain cancer was developing, everyone said I wouldn't live to go to school. Now, lo and behold, I'm 30. Now, in in between, you know, supposedly going to die and 30, I did, you know, casually die on the table in an operation. Um, there were paddles taken to my me as a child. Um, that did happen. That's a thing that happened. Um, but part of the deal was being childhood cancer survivor in the way that I am is that you have this unique relationship with fleeting human life and it's not not anything that I would ever wish on anybody or I would ever wish anybody understand but it it means that that you'll meet people in your life who you'll know without a doubt aren't alive anymore. And for me, that takes the form of when I was a kid, I used to attend a camp called Camp Happy Times. And Camp Happy Times is for, is funded by a organization called the Valerie Fund, which was, which is an organization to assist the treatment of childhood cancer can't of childhood cancer patients and as a kind of as one of the bonuses of surviving cancer as a child is and yes yes I did get a wish <laughs> I I had one wish I got to use I used it as a computer I was a kid um I don't regret that considering how computers rose to prominence in my life but one of the things that happens every year in Camp Happy Times is every single year, and the camp lasts a week. At the beginning of the week, there's a funeral service, and there's a, you know, funeral. There's a, like, of a memorial that isn't, as far as I know, isn't updated, 
but basically you go to the memorial and you release butterflies and it's for all the people who have died in the past year and if you think that sounds morose and like depressing the thing you'll have to know is that if you go to Camp Happy Times you will most likely know the some of the people who have died in the past year. And it's this... It's this... And... It's relationship with death and the loss of life that no one should have, ever. No human should have. And it... it combine that with growing up in a... In, intensively, like, medical-assisted environment in which th you see a kind of medical version of being a test, of being a test subject. And uh, as a person who survived brain cancer in the late 80s, believe you me, I was a test subject. Th there was, there was a lot of knowledge at that point, but it was also punctuated by a lot of guessing and hoping and sheer luck. I, I will not, and I, I don't say this in my panel, but I will say that they probably write textbooks about the way I was, about the treatment regimen I had, because of the brain cancer survivors I have met, which is only one other, I'm doing pretty damn well, but, so all this is basically to say I have a unique relationship with death and with sadness and with tragedy, and a lot of that is because I, I as a person exist outside of what you would look at and see normal. I exist outside of, like, the parameters of what people believe should be possible. And what that often means is I process things differently. I think about life and death and tragedy in a different way. And it takes me... And oftentimes with tragedies I'm not connected to in some very direct way, it takes me a while to process that. And, but in an interesting way, I think that's what it took a lot of people. That's what it took a lot, a lot of people took that time. Because while the fire, while the arson attack happened a week ago, um, the reactions to it and the thank you videos to Kyoto to Kyoani have happened have only been happening right around now and I'm probably lumped in with a lot of all of that and that's because not only because people needed time to think but because people needed time to consider truly what Kyoani's body of work meant to them in some way. Because, and I'll be totally honest here, I've enjoyed Kyo Annie work in the past, certainly. I have done at least two podcasts, actually at least three podcasts, on shows that they have made. Uh, if you're wondering what those are, I did a podcast on Tomiko Matt, on Tomiko Market, I did a podcast on A Silent Voice, a personal favorite film of mine, and I did a podcast on Dragon Maid very early on in this iteration of my, like, anime podcast, Dumb. You can go listen to those in the um, feed for, for this podcast. But, because of that, the other reason that people needed, wanted to take time is because there's a tendency for news for the 24-hour news cycle to do something now that didn't exist when 
it wasn't when the twenty four when the news wasn't forced to be twenty four hours a day. And that is to oh shit, slap something together so we can have coverage, so we can have information to put out. Even when there's really nothing new to put out. And in a way that I think is important, none of the anime YouTubers that I have seen wanted to do a slapdash job of talking about this Kyoto Animation as a studio because, or explicitly because, it is so unique. And they have taken such a unique approach to creating to to their to their expression of what they believe is a good show and that is very different from other studios for example studio bones has a wide range of what it can do but oftentimes studio bones does variants of popular shonen action in some way. Um, other studios are known for explicitly for excellent, beautiful, but over-the-top animation, like Studio Madhouse. Um, Studio Ghibli is known for movies and for, for like, awe-inspiring movies, attention to detail, and grumpy anime grandpa himself, Hayao Miyazaki, <laughs> um, and his dance on, among other things, the environment, um, what parents are, what parents are like, um, spousal neglect, nuclear, nuclear power, <laughs> Which, if you ever want a really, like, cold motherfucker moment, go look up what he says about nuclear power in Kingdoms of Dreams and Madness, where he's basically like, look, it was, like, it's deeply sad that Fukushima happened, but you had to see this coming, right? And you're just like, oh, that's fucking cold, even for you, you cigarette-prone old man. Um, but those studios all have their own, all have their own thing. But what Kyoto Animation sought to do, which is, what they sought to do in the beginning and what they've sought to do since, I think, are two different things. What they sought to do in the beginning was make the mundane beautiful, and that's really important. And it's a skill that animators are told, are taught to do. I can speak to this as someone who has taught animation long ago than I want to admit, but I was. And, but what happens over time is because the scope of animation can be so broad, and it can, it as a medium is capable of so much more than other mediums of its type, and I, I mean that wholeheartedly. You know, live action movies these days have become a mix of, or in some case, entirely. Hello, Lion King, a mix of. What live of live action up to the line of where they need computer animation to complete the rest of it. And if you watch TV and you're like, if you watch TV and you're like, how did they do that without anybody dying? The answer is usually CGI. TV more and more TV shows have CGI budgets and they use it in really strange ways. Um, but the thing about Kyoto Animation is while it is interested in telling fantastical stories like um, Love, Chini Bio, and Other Delusions, which I think I might have talked about on this show. I've, I've done a lot of these episodes. Leave me alone. Um, 
or like Myriad Colors Fantasy World, which I still need to finish, and is a very strange show, but I'm I appreciate it weirdly. Um, and even something like Dragon, like Kobayashi Dragon Maid. In the, in those portrayal, they try and make sure that the moments that exist that are relatable to people are done with a caring and knowing eye to details. So the the really great and it's about it's about Spirit Away. It's not about a KyoAni property, but I think it applies here. There's a great I think it might even be John Lasseter, who apparently turned out to be an asshole, um, who said this, but there's a great quote where I think I think it's John Lasseter, but I'm not totally sure. It's talking about Spirit Away and he's talking about Chihiro putting her shoes back on to go chase after Haku. And but there's this moment where Anybody else, would, where any other studio would have just put the shoes on and she would have run out. Or they would have cut that out entirely. You would have just seen her ask for her clothes and shoes and you would have seen her running out. And that's fine. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But because it's a Studio Ghibli movie, because he's a mad... Hayao Miyazaki is in many ways a madman, you see Chihiro pull up the back of her shoes, get up, and tap down on the toe of each shoe to make sure it's on entirely. The way that a character would. It's, it's this extra little flourish that makes that moment feel more real. Even, even if in everyday life, while people could do that, they don't. The fact that you see that, that you see that tiny moment makes it feel real. It all of a sudden gives that entire scene this kind of like slight quirk and realness that draws you into it. And Kyoto Animation has kind of over the years mastered doing that. And they start they started doing that they started doing that in shows like Full Metal Panic Fumofu, Haruhi, which I still haven't made it all the way through because Haruhi drives me a little fucking bonkers. Um, I know that's that's a little crazy, but she does. But the thing is, is where I began to feel for is a connection I realized I had with Kyoto Animation is in the stuff that comes after that. Because this happens with lots of studios. As they go as they grow in popularity, in age, in everything, in budget, they oftentimes are interested in different things at different times. And what I was whereas I would say Kyoto animation was interested in showing one kind of show at one point. They're still interested in that, certainly, but they're interested in showing a slightly different kind of show at this point. And what I mean by that is they're interested in showing a kind of fringe existence, if that makes any sense. So if you really want to see what I'm talking about, you can watch Miss Kobayashi Dragon Maid, or you can watch specifically a silent voice and you can see how interested they are in in a silent voice in the character who death in Shoko and in how Shoko is perceived versus how Shoko feels and how Shoko what Shoko projects based on what she is Grow on how she's grown up, and how that ultimately—and spoiler alert for *A Silent Voice*. Um, it's on Netflix. Go watch it seriously. And how Shoko ends up 
how that ends up torturing her because she is so alone in that movie. There is a moment in that movie where you feel the loneliness that she sits with in her life. You feel the fact that she is so separate from every other kid in her class. From not just every other kid, but every other person. Because there's a primary connection that's just missing. And you see you see her family try and protect her. But in protecting her, they help create that loneliness. And they, not necessarily create, but they help kind of reinforce that loneliness. And you see her struggle to, re to reach out to another person, the male protagonist of the show, I forget her name, but, um, Shoya, I think. Um, and you, you see, um, what, so, the confession, the scene where she tried to confess to Shoya and tell him that she loved him, or that she likes him, or however you want to put it, but basically, I would imagine... Actually, she explicitly said she's trying to tell him that she loves him. And that scene is beautiful and funny. But it's also really sad. Because it... It, it demonstrates something that disabled people do all the time not for their own sake, but for the sake of fully, of fully able-bodied people. And that is, we if, if we want to go through the world and do what, and do what we want to do, we have to remove as many of the barriers to you seeing us as different as possible. And that's what Shoko putting her hair up was about. That's what Shoko getting dressed in just that specific, very tailored way was about. That's what her trying to speak to Shoya was about. He, he says to her, you can just sign, it's fine. But she wants to... She wants to make it easy for him to hear her Tell him she loves him. And that scene is really what I think if you if you're not sold on any Kyoto if you're if you don't know much about Kyoto animation and you don't know what you should watch to kind of sell you on them as a studio, I would go watch that scene. You could probably find it on YouTube subtitled or dubbed it probably both ways um on youtube but it it captures so perfectly what it takes for a person who's deeply othered to do something that is still hard if you're a normal person but it's harder because normal people rule rule the roost, so to speak. Another great ver another great version of that same concept is a mut is much is all of the show of Ko Miss Kobayashi Dragon Maid, which is actually what c convincing watching rewatching that on Funimation now is what convinced me. I really want to do a whole show about Kyoto animation and what I find so important about their work. And in Miss Kobayashi Dragon Maid, what it really is depicting is it's depicting found family and it's depicting a woman who has gone and done all the correct things, but she just 
she hadn't met many people in her life who... I think this is important. Who And it's not that she, that she met, hasn't met people who understand her. She hasn't met many people in her life up until that the start of the show who accept her. And accepting is different than understanding. Accepting is... First off, accepting and understanding are not... Are not certainly not mutually exclusive, but they don't they aren't a package deal. You don't need to understand something to accept it. You don't need to understand why it, why the sun sits in the sky to accept that it does. And anybody who tells you that you need to understand something to accept it doesn't for lack of a better word understand the different the the relationship between the two and because you know lots of people in Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid could understand Miss Co- Kobayashi but that's not what she needed she needed someone to accept her warts and all and in Toru and in Lukoa and in all and in Fastner and in what's the other one's name the the bl- blue food lady oh, I forget her name um in Elma's case and even in um Toru and the little girl dragon I forget her name um but in their case they accept Miss Kobayashi, and they they don't feel like they need to understand her. They feel like they just need to accept her, and that causes her to open up, and it causes her to be to to be open to the possibilities of having a family, even if it's a found family, and it's not, it's completely non-traditional, and, you know, connect her, ultimately connect her to other people, but, oftentimes, when other studios would portray an outsider, of like, a rebel, or a, or, or some kind of, like, other character as their main character, you get things like you see in Naruto, where, yes, Naruto is othered, but he's not... He's not really, if that makes any sense. Like, the story sets up the net... Make sure you have the necessary building blocks to get to the point where he gets to be Hokage. Like, it, it, if you stop and think about the Naruto Hokage succession, it's basically a royal succession system, but not really. Um, but in so much of Kyoto Animation's shows, it, the kids are, the people are just normal kids. Or they're just they're just normal people, and that's what that's what I think people love about those shows so much is that they're slightly heightened versions of what could be real life. And yes, like Myriad Colors Fantasy World, um, Chunibyo doesn't count. Um, it's got magical shit in it, but it's not real, so. Or something like Full Metal Panic Fumofu. Uh, or even something like Haruhi. Those characters, even though there is magical shit about those shows, because the characters are constructed in a way that feels like this combination of the heightened anime char- main characterness and real, grounded meaningful character, like, human, 
character traits, it it invites you to kind of let the show wash over you in a way that you wouldn't. That it's it's not harder with other shows. It's just less. It takes slightly less, and it takes slightly more. Um, uh, a show that does this really well, and I don't think it's a Kyoto Animation show, is um, a show that I actually talked about on this podcast called A Restaurant to Another World. A Restaurant to Another World sets up these fantasy tropes and then mixes them with this one ver- with this one location. <laughs> in modern day and it doesn't take long to endear you to the characters and also part of it the ending song of that show helps a lot oh my god but it as a show makes sure that its characters are grounded enough so even if it gets some of the magical stuff wrong it ends up leaving you in a place where you can still buy in. And that's a really great thing, so to speak. And that's really why Kyoto Animation is important to me, and it's really, it's why it makes me sad to know that 34 people died, that 33, I think 34 actually, people died, no, 33 people died in the arson attack, and that 34 people are injured badly. It's because this is a studio full of people who have done, who have done their best to create visions of what anime can be that no one else would do. They created Kaon, which I remember me and my friend Christian sitting in our sitting in our apartment when the year that came out and we both were like, I think this might be awesome and then we came back and we're like I and both of us were like, I don't know what this thing is or what its deal is, but I'm still watching it and I don't know why. <laughs> to be clear, we thought it was like about a badass middle school rock <laughs> rock and roll group, not about little girls drinking tea, um, which it is mostly about. They created shows like they they took a property like um, Full Metal Panic, and they did something wholly different with it. And when I say wholly different, I mean wholly different and better with it. They took, like, characters that were established and they gave them, like, another different portrayal. Um, they, they made Harley in general, which I still haven't watched once again. Because every time I watch it, I don't, I just can't, I can't get there. They they are responsible for the Harahara Yukai. They are also responsible for the Lucky Star Dance, which those things will never leave my head. Um, but it's all it's all to say that it's deeply sad that these amazingly talented people were attacked at all because they have done not only nothing wrong nothing to deserve anything so vicious being put to them but they have done everything right Kyoto Animation Studio Kyoto Animation is a studio that has opted to employ its animators which when I tell you that's exceedingly rare believe me when I say it is they have chosen to pay its animators a living wage. They have chosen to 
offer opportunities to female animators that previously didn't exist. They have done more than their part to change the anime industry as a whole, and they have more than proven that doing that part is with... Now, granted, it probably takes a lot of planning and scheduling and all that stuff, but they have proven that that, is, that, that will be rewarded. It... It's not uncommon that doing the right thing will earn you fame and fortune. But what is uncommon is that doing the right thing is just hard enough that you will settle for the lesser fame and lesser fortune of doing everything in the most expedient, least fair way possible. And I think as consumers of anime, we need to understand that Kyoto Animation succeeded not because of the existing structure of the anime studio system, but in spite of it. Because they carved out a place for themselves, and they managed to absolutely dominate it. And I... So the last thing I'll say is apparently they have lost all of the digital and physical archives of their shows. Which I would imagine means they're going to be doing a lot of phone calling and calling back a lot of masters from those shows for those shows so they can have a record of the shows they've worked on. But the and, and the sadness there is that the raw materials to the shows are lost, meaning that there are more than likely very few animation cells that exist for Dragon Maid. There are very few anim animation cells that exist for any of those shows. But the... It's just... I don't know if you can tell, this has been an odd podcast for me to fit together in my head because I have a lot of thoughts about them as a studio because they have made works I care about and works that I really enjoy and works that even though they've flown under the ra radar, are beautiful and thoughtful and interesting. Like, the one I'm thinking of is Tsurun, the anime on High Dive, about um, uh, the, ma the male half of a high school archery team. <laughs> but, it's... It's... It's just important that we remember how valuable the people who create the anime we watch are, and how important it is that A, not only they be treated right, but that they are safe. And that their work is safe, because their work is what they're putting out in the world for us. And it is deeply it it makes me angry sad and confused to know that someone did this specifically to not just a, to to a studio without pausing to realize that they did it to people cuz that's the that's the thing is, is and that's the thing I want to get across is for as much like thinking about voice for as much like pondering about voice actors and directors and animators as the anime fandom does you very rarely think about the fact that those people go home they have dinner with their families and they go to bed 
And now that's not that's not necessarily your fault or my fault. It's not. It's it is actually why one of the reasons why I don't talk about it a lot on this show on this podcast is because I don't want to be about the like data drivenness of the fandom. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not. It's not ever where I found myself. It's not why I'm attracted to anime. Anime is beautiful. It has amazing moments of deeply considered animation. But it's not... It's not the sole and primary reason I come to come to anime. Or the I come to it for, rather. Sorry. What is, is... I love seeing people's visions of things, and I love seeing creative storytelling. And it, when you, so when, if you're listening to this and you're open to it, from now on, when you think about like an animator you like a named animator you really like, or a named director you really like, don't just think about them as a body of work or as a working person. Think about them as someone who, you know, stops the end of the day and goes home to nothing in the fridge and then has to walk up to the deli and get a sandwich or the, or, or get in the car and go to a fast food place. Because it's important that we recognize that animation, even if it's done by computer or if it's done by hand, is made by and for people. And I think if more people thought that way, if more, if less people thought about creators as just a body of work, or just the data point, or just a set of skills, then attacks like what happened to KyoAni would happen less. Because we'd be conditioned to think first about what we hated. But then we'd, we'd be conditioned to think, but that's a person. It's not just a place. It's not just a studio. It's not just a nameless entity. If I choose to hurt this studio, I am hurting people. Um, I... And I... And that's really the crux of it. That's what makes me so upset, is that these are people who have done, who've chosen to be creative with their lives. They have, and not only people who've chosen to be creative with their lives, but they have people who have had the courage to be creative in a way that other people weren't and aren't being creative. And they were punished unjustly for the thoughts for the thoughts someone had about them as a studio and not each person as an individual and you know one of the miracles of animation one of the miracles of animation from Kyoto from from KyoAni, Ghibli, any of them, is that there are tons of people working on these things. There are VFX people, there are coloring people, there are all kinds of people working on animations, and they are pouring their heart and soul into this stuff. The least we can do is remember that these people are all individuals. They are not just the nameless group. They are not just Kyoto Animation. They are animators, voice actors, colorers, directors. And they deserve, they deserve the consideration. They deserve more than just the pause to think, oh, they deserve a pause and not just to think, you know, like, this person's really good at animation. Yeah, but they're 
might not be great at making lunch. <laughs> and I know this is really a messy episode, and I hope you got something out of it. But um, until, but as far as that goes, my name has been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. I hope you liked this episode as much of a mess as it was. Don't forget, I'll be at Liberty City Anime Con on the weekend of the 10th and 11th of August. Um, But until next time, I'll talk to you later.